All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Hello again, and welcome to Primitive Screwheads Talk Horror Movies. I'm Screwhead Dan. And I'm Screwhead Andrew. And we are here once again to dissect, dismember, and discuss another horror movie of the week. This week's movie is going to be A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And this is actually a very special episode because we have one of the actors of Freddy's Revenge on here. So we have Tim, the man who heroically attempted to climb a fence during the unprovoked attack on the population of teens, but who unfortunately fell into the fiery abyss in the classic film. So his name is Brian. Hello, Brian. Um, (laughs) Hello. (laughs) No, we did not tell him we were going to do that. Then. No. Brian is my brother, and we decided to bring him on in uh, to talk about this because this is a movie he really loves as well, and um, it's just kind of a context in terms of the... Uh, yeah, it's just he loves horror movies, and this is one of the horror movies he really loves, and I figured I'd bring him on as a special guest for today. So how you doing, Brian? I'm good. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Uh-huh. I have gotten back from Alaska. I watched 30 Days of Nights up there, which Did is going to be our next movie, right, Andrew? Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Mm, that's so, cool. um, I haven't seen the night sky in two weeks, and it was very, very nice on the plane ride back home to be able to look out and see the stars, because I had a red-eye flight on Thursday. Um, that was not fun. I was up for, like, God, 28 hours before I actually got home, and I just napped for the rest of the afternoon. So... Yeah. Anyway, uh, how else are we doing, gents? Andrew, any alien shit to talk about today? <laughs> you know, honestly, as much as I'd love to say yes, I don't think there is. But, you know, I'll, I'll think about There's it. nothing? Like, uh, you know, um, uh, I think Alien's Fire Team is being confirmed coming out sometime this summer. It's, it's looking pretty promising. There's some new game footage released for that game. But I think that's all I've got currently, you know? Uh, wow. Now, yeah, no, 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 I don't think there's any other news going on. All right, that's a very short Alien Watch segment for today. Um, yeah, <laughs> otherwise, yeah, I just got back from Alaska, um, kind of taking care of some stuff up there, then came on back down here. I have the weekend to myself. Uh, my girlfriend's actually out of town this weekend, so I have two nights of being able to stay up late playing video games mm-hmm. and just making absolute trash of myself which is great because i haven't done that in quite some time so it's really really wonderful how are the dogs andrew good well he's alphonse is somewhere around here uh sleeping i hope he doesn't make noise he's living his best life uh we discovered recently our cat likes to go and hide underneath my bed so uh every time we try to leave and put alphonse at his crate the cat will come out front of the bed and like harass him so uh it's, <laughs> it's, it's a great time good stuff and how is the cat brian oh she's good so we just took a trip up to Oregon, just Oliver and I, and to see Oliver's sister. And um, this is going to come back to the cat, I promise. Um, we always we brought a suitcase, and then we every time we leave the suitcase in the tiny house, um, we live in a tiny house. The cat likes to lay on it, and it's really hard to remove the suitcase or even get anything out of it after that because she basically just hunkers down there and it's her new spot um so i think she's there right now and um 
And yeah, very content. But uh, now we've just got a suitcase sitting in the middle of the room, which is uh, taking up prime real estate, which is which is a problem. But the cat's happy. Yes. Do you ever see that one like ancient Japanese painting of a woman in a kimono and she's lying on the ground and the cat is sleeping on part of her kimono? So she's taking out a pair of scissors and just cutting that fabric out so the cat is undisturbed while it's sleeping. That sounds familiar. <laughs> that, that's that's usually how it goes. Yeah, no, it's been the same for a long time. Yeah. So I suppose we can jump right into our movie for today, which once again is going to be A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And general public perception, and gents, you know, kind of correct me if I'm wrong on this front, it's tended to be kind of the black sheep of the series. If I had to make a comparison, I would compare it to Halloween 3 Season of the Witch in terms that it sets up somewhat of a mythos that the rest of the series does not really follow. And in retrospect, it's more drastically different, I guess, the redhead stepchild or the black sheep of the Nightmare on Elm Street family. But since then, it's gathered quite a cult following, especially in the homosexual community, um, which is right up your alley, Brian. You love studying queer theory and all of that. Um, so that's why I kind of brought you on to this episode. Uh-huh. I also um, am so- a gay. Okay. That's the... <laughs> All right, cool. So, for, yeah, for that's gay that. expertise. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> gay expertise. We brought you on in on that front. Uh-huh. There we go. Yeah, sorry. I wasn't sure how I wanted to no, introduce no. that or let you introduce that, that sort Bye. of thing. Anyway, Brian's our resident gay. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's that's We're where here. that's where my knowledge but, base comes in. But you in. genuinely do. Like, you are a huge, ever since I've known you, which has been my mm-hmm. entire life for the most part, uh, you've always been a huge horror movie fan and horror movie mm-hmm. nerd. And you love talking about uh, queer representation in horror movies which yeah this in that community is a massive massive deal yeah so yeah um would you two agree with uh just kind of my thoughts on that in terms of the cultural impact of this movie so far yeah in terms of it being kind of the black sheep yeah yeah, yeah no people really didn't like it and then it came back as sort of a a cult movie um it definitely went in a way different direction than um the original nightmare on elm street um, but, uh, time has been kind to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think, yeah, yeah, definitely. Also like the fact that Freddy's dead exists really helps this movie a lot. Like, I think, I think <laughs> yeah. everybody very much agrees that Freddy's dead. I, I hope you guys agree. It's probably is the worst one. Like, yeah. Well, I uh, agree with that as well. Like, I have very much a Jason goes to hell vibes from Freddy's dead as well. Whoa. You didn't like Jason goes to hell? No, it's the worst uh, Friday the 13th movie. (laughs) I I saw another comment, too. Oh, my God. No, I saw another comment, too, and it was just like, oh, so Jason X is the black sheep of the Friday the 13th series. And I'm just like, no, I think think Jason X is more popular than Jason Goes to Hell. Like, I think by far it's the worst movie out of the Friday the 13th movies. All right, real quick before we hop into that. Before okay. the movie. Because th- this, <laughs> this is what we do, Brian. This, this yeah. We question. argue about stuff other than the topic at <laughs> no, hand. Oh yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's why podcasts exist is to avoid or to to manage to not talk about the subject of the podcast. Well, exactly. Well, I, I have always said, you know, starting a podcast is the millennial equivalent of we should totally open a bar, yeah. and that's exactly what we did. Anyway, Andrew, go on ahead. No, Tell I, me your I, wrong I, opinion about Friday Thirteenth. No, no, no. Oh, oh well. <laughs> 
like I'll, I'll save that. You know, I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be mature and responsible, and I will save that. That being said, I do want to re- rewatch the remake of Friday Thirteenth because like I have a, a soft spot for it in my mind. You know, I might I might ruin that soft spot when I watch it. But I want to know what are what are your guys' rankings of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies? Like, where does this movie rank in your, you know, of the how many are there? There's there's five up to Alice, yeah, too many. All right. and then I Freddy's need to dead. pull them all up. Hang on. So there's eight. There's eight of them, right? Because seven is Freddy's dead. Yeah, and there's less than right, so, the Friday the Thirteenth series. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah. so let's go ahead. I'm so, pulling up Wikipedia so right now. Are... I will list them off one by one. So we have Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Revenge, Dream Warriors, Dream Master, Dream Child, Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare, and then of course the meta Wes Craven's new Nightmare, Freddy vs Jason, and the remake Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I think we can all agree the remake is probably at the bottom. Yeah. So I yeah. I've Maybe. probably seen them all at some point in my life, but I can't really remember any except for one through three, which I rewatched fairly recently. Um, so I'm gonna. Yeah. I know four and five kind of blend together. I only yeah. remember the kills from that movie. Nothing else really beyond that. Remember, How about you, Andrew? Alice was great. because well, four and five are direct sequels to each other, so that works out. Like that. They, they do blend together. Mm-hmm. So they're basically one story. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was obsessed with the series, so I I, I got them all. By heart, memorized. Mm-hmm. There, um, but okay, where do you say with this? Like, if you only remember the first three, where do you say this fits in among the first three? Because I feel like yeah, the first three are probably the biggest ones. It's so hard to so, say because one and three work really well together, and two is really good. So I feel like, but I feel like two would end up being at the bottom. But then also, I don't think three would be as good without one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So my kind of thought going into this movie is and i guess we can have jog talk general opinions about this and this is the spoiler free section we'll dwell into spoilers later on mm-hmm. um if at all honestly i don't know if we are for this movie I but think, anyway i think we can just so this one. i it's always yeah it's, well, it's, yeah, it's pretty still, old you know <laughs> it's mad old, caring but. fans we still want to you know help your subtle ears you know from avoiding spoils um i've always kind of considered this not a very good Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but I do think it is a good movie. Yeah. I think this is when they were playing around and thinking, what exactly did they want to do? I mean, Wes Craven didn't do this movie. Um, he didn't direct it. He honestly, to initially to start off with, he wanted the first Nightmare on Elm Street to be a standalone sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of the series exploring and finding its footing again like Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, trying to do something different, something new, which the rest of the series and franchise didn't take over. So it definitely feels off on that front. And in terms of a juxtaposition, Freddy's, you know, nightmare compared to everything else, it it does stand out. It does stick out like a sore thumb. And the very first time I saw it, I remember I really didn't like it because it was so different. But I went back to it and I saw it again. And it's it's a very interesting movie. Mm -hmm. So... Ultimately, my thoughts are it's not a good Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but it is unique in what it tries to do or what it does do, and I appreciate it for that. Hmm. See that. How about you, Tim? Well, I'd say I, I, I'm kind of the opposite. Like, well, so this made it. I think this was actually the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie I saw. I remember. I think like I just think remember like watching the bus scene and not really knowing what's going on. I think I saw part part of part three when I was younger. I saw like the, the the vein scene where the kids being dragged out by his veins like a little marionette, and that, I turned that shit off because I was 
terrified. <laughs> um, but I think this is one of the first actual Nightmare on Elm Street movies I saw in its entirety because I didn't really know what was going on. Um, and so for me, like that idea that it doesn't fit into the Nightmare on Elm Street canon doesn't really fit because it was my first exposure to the canon, really. Mm-hmm. And I think like, I don't know, I guess kind of I mentioned like an analogy to Aliens at one point uh, or when I was talking with you guys before this. And this is kind of my analogy to Aliens where I can't judge... Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 as not fitting in the Nightmare on Elm Street universe because up to that point, much like the Queen didn't exist in Alien, none of the, the later stuff in the Friday, in the Nightmare on Elm Street canon existed when this movie came out. So this was really kind of paving the way. This is kind of, you know, picking up right where the first one left off. So at that point in time, like, the idea that it messed with the canon doesn't really make sense because it wasn't really established then in my mind. So, like, to me, I don't know. I mm-hmm. I agree it's not as scary, but I think that the... This movie is much more of a character study. Like, I don't think Nancy is very much of a character. You don't really get much into Nancy's head in the first one, really. But I think Jesse, you learn a lot about him. So I think I kind of enjoyed that. I thought it was like more of a, I don't know, character journey as opposed to like a scary movie. Mm-hmm. Like more mm-hmm. more suspense yeah, I, than scary, I guess. Can we also talk about just how different Freddy is in this movie? Like in a lot of the other movies. I mean, he's still not the wisecracking, joking Freddy he becomes later on in the series, but in this one, he just he feels a lot more mean-spirited and a lot more sinister than in the other movies. Um, and I did like that. I did like the fact that he actually was a whole lot more intimidating. And then later on, like, in the other movies, I was always overjoyed to see him because I'm just like, oh, Freddy, what wacky kill is he going to do this time? But in this movie, it's definitely he has more of a presence, which I do appreciate. Um, I don't know, Brian, what do you think? You know, I like this movie, but, um, let's see where to start. I think that the, the sort of how it fits into the series, um, is similar to Halloween three, where even though it like like even though there's only one movie before it the the idea of like freddy going into your dreams and killing you or killing a bunch of random teens um is sort of like that is even though it wasn't set up to be a formula it feels very much like a formula that sequels could follow and the sequel did not do that um Mm -hmm. which is just kind of unexpected they went with the possession um narrative instead um, yeah. so I see how that, that sort of, it feels like a divergence. Um, but it's, yeah, it is a, it's a really effective character study and really the, the, the whole contrast and, uh, and sort of parallels between Jesse and, and Freddie, um, they're sort of it's it's kind of a oh shoot what's the name of the guy in Venom, um, but it's it's that kind of Tom a, Hardy? yeah Tom Hardy <laughs> it's that kind of relationship, <laughs> um, so like it's just a relationship sort of thing. yeah but but also like Jesse's able to realize things that he wouldn't have otherwise realized if he wasn't possessed by uh, evil dream demon guy. Um, okay. No, it's a it's a it's a fascinating movie. Yeah, and mm. I and I feel 
Um, so, listeners, I would there was a documentary called Screen Queen that came out. Uh, let me pull that up. Brought that fairly recently. I want to say twenty twenty October twenty twenty twenty. Yeah, um, but it follows Mark Patton, who plays uh, Jesse Walsh, um, and his experiences with this film and the shit he went through, basically, which you know was terrible. There's a lot of very awful people that did him wrong while working on this movie, and we'll get into that later on. But it really helped me realize the cultural impact and how much this movie meant to the queer community, because... Um, the uh, this has been called you know multiple times the gayest horror movie ever made and there's been a lot of talk about how jesse the main character has been written or can be interpreted as a closeted homosexual in this movie and especially since this movie was set during the 80s during the aids uh, you know epidemic and all the shit that what happened with that it, it, it provides a very interesting cultural lens into the state of the horror community and the world at large at this moment. So I suppose it's at this point, um, do we want to dwell into that cultural impact or do we want to talk about the movie itself? My vote is let's just talk about the movie itself and then we'll kind of get into broader subjects. How does that feel to you, gentlemen? Yeah, I think it'll they'll kind of go back and forth anyway, so that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. And I think at this time we should probably do a spoiler warning um, as well. So my opinion on Freddy's Revenge, it's a very interesting look into the horror movie community. And it's a very interesting character study, but don't expect the typical Nightmare on Elm Street in terms of what you're used to. That would be my impression. What are your two impressions? Just, you know, sum it up in a sentence or two. Uh, Brian, would you like to go first? Um, yeah, I think it's got, it's still got a lot of the the sort of dark humor that you'd expect from a, a Nightmare on Elm Street, and I don't I don't think it's that different from the rest of them. Um, but as we just talked about, um, it is more it do, it doesn't follow the formula that you'd expect it to. It's still finding its footing. I yeah. think is the best way to go. Trying to f- figure out its identity as the series. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, yeah, same boat. Oh, sorry, yeah, Brian, you finish. Oh, no, I was just going to talk about uh, Friday the 13th and how these, like, I mean, these are the two sort of titans of 80s slasher movies. Um, and just how Friday the th- I mean, Jason didn't even get his hockey mask until the third movie. Um, hmm. Wasn't even Jason in the first movie. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't even Jason in the first movie, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think this, this is less i don't know it's i don't i I actually as similar as they are it's hard to compare friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street because um just how basic the setup for friday the 13th are and sort of how much more convoluted the nightmare on elm street ones become (laughs) yeah I don't know. I always feel like, always feel like the say. strength of Nightmare on Elm Street is it has that story to it. I feel like Nightmare on Elm Street has like a lot of story and kind of get to know the characters a little bit. But I, de- I definitely feel like Friday the 13th, it's literally just like, who's at the camp this time? Who's going to be killed yeah. this time? Yeah. Like, there's the movie where they replace... Well, actually, I, the most I could liken this to is, I think, Friday the 13th. Um, it's after the final chapter. I think it's called A New Beginning. And it's where it's the paramedic who's killing people. And half the yep. movie is you wondering whether or not it was um, Tommy Jarvis. I would say that's probably the most akin to this movie, where you're wondering, like, is he the killer? Who's the killer? What's going on? That would be, like, the mm-hmm. closest genre, like, 
across the two films, maybe. Yeah. All right. So do we want to dive into the actual kind of summary of the movie first? Yeah. Or next? All right. Yeah, that's so, it. All right. So Freddy's Revenge, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, uh, we star Jesse Walsh, played by Mark Patton, who is basically through a interesting turn of events is living in Nancy Thompson's old house, um, former home from the first movie. And indirectly, he gets possessed by Jason, or not Jason, Freddie. <laughs> um, going back and forth there. I can't call myself a horror movie podcast host if I confuse the two. I am sorry for failing you listeners. Anyway, Freddie <laughs> uh, possesses uh, Jesse Walsh, and it's kind of this whole cerebral back and forth in terms of uh mark or jesse walsh is killing these people but is he's really possessed by freddie people believe him people don't believe him he doesn't know when he's going to be possessed again or when he is there is a love interest lisa weber played by kim myers who is trying to assist and help him out back and forth and it, it basically just kind of follows jesse as he dives deeper and deeper into madness as Freddy starts to torment him more and more. And that's basically the general gist of this movie. Uh, would you two add anything to that? That's pretty good. Yeah, no, that that's the gist for sure. <laughs> okay. And there's... Uh, what about memorable... Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just thinking of, of talking about how Jesse is... Well, I, I assume that at some point in this podcast, you guys have talked about the concept of a final girl. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yes. yeah. And Brian, why don't you actually introduce that one? Because I think I was going to delve into that as well. All right. So there's a book called, uh, by a scholar named Carol Clover. I, let me double check that because that's right. Um, yeah, Carol Clover, who wrote a book called "Men, Women, and Chainsaws," and in that book, she formulates this this archetype of the final girl, which is by taking a bunch of different 80s slasher movies and um, sort of reducing them down to their purest elements. Um, and basically, the final girl is very pure and virginal. Um, this is where we get the cliche that if you have sex, you die in a slasher movie. Um, usually, they're drug-free, but um, even in this, uh, they talk about. She talks about in Halloween how uh, Laurie Strode smokes pot at one point and she doesn't die. Um, so there's always exceptions, even to the the like somebody like Laurie Strode who you'd think would be like the er final girl. Um, there's always exceptions to it, um, and it's um, in this movie. It's a rare case of the final boy and that's sort of where the sexual and gender um twisting come into play because he kind of jesse that is plays out all of what we would expect a final girl to go through um and especially and a, a scream queen which is essentially the same character except they scream a lot um, <laughs> it's yeah, right there. The name makes sense. Checks up, right? Like, yep. Queen can still die. Like Linnea Quigley is a screen queen. She dies in every movie. She's yeah, dead. yeah. Like, final girls live. Uh huh. Yeah, they're part of the whole the the, the slasher movie pantheon. Um, 
So, yeah, Jesse is sort of a more innocent and kind of neurotic character, much more than we're used to with, with the male slasher movie uh, protagonists. Like, have you two seen The Burning? Yeah, I have not. Okay, yeah, that's a, it's a really good one. It was... Um, I think it was actually one of the inspirations for um, the Scissor Man and Clock Tower, because it's a mm. it's a killer who uses garden shears um, at a summer camp, of course. I love Clock but, Tower. Yeah, uh, the main character is is a man in that one. Um, he's one of the camp counselors, and uh, he's traumatized by a past event. But he's like, I don't know. There's never like a lot of doubt and he's never in a lot of stress that he can't handle and in this movie it's not um for, for jesse he's constantly in a in a state of of stress and in situations that he can't <laughs> handle so uh it's just a, it's an interesting position for the male protagonist of a slasher movie to be in um mm -hmm. yeah especially for the 80s i mean this movie mm -hmm. came out in 1984 there were you know Basically, no. Uh, Halloween obviously came out, and Black Christmas, and everything. And then we had, you know, one or two Friday the Thirteenth at this point, but not much more beyond that. So, um, yeah, the slasher genre was still kind of developing, or at the very least, in its uh, preteen years at this point. So, yeah, it's interesting to kind of see how they took on that front right there. Mm -hmm. um, anything to add on to that, Andrew? No, and uh, I think his name was Cropsey in a. Was, was, it, was the burning? Was that was that one with Cropsey? Yes. In it? Is that the one? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was based myth? on that Cropsey Cropsey myth. Uh huh. Yeah. Awesome. But yeah, no, no. That, that's no. I, I, I like. I love the callback to Carol because like, I think part of too that I talked about like with Clover is like the idea that like, the audience takes on like takes on the role of the female. Like typically, you know, like we the audience the male it's the male gaze. But like in order like for the final girl to kind of work as a character, the audience has to put themselves into the female perspective. And like, mm -hmm. the, I think part of the, the story isn't it like. And then, correct me if I'm wrong. I think part of it was like because I haven't learned about this since like college, but like wasn't part of it like that the the female character has to basically transcend femininity to become masculine to overcome the killer at the end, kind of. Which I find yeah, pretty much she story. she has to uh, like become violent. Which I mean, you're that I don't think that violence is inherently gendered, but um, no. in the in the framing, it's sort of like the the, the final girl has to do some kind of violent thing that you'd expect the, the slasher villain to do. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of impaling <laughs> tends to be. <laughs> I think, I'm not sure if, so going back to Halloween, John Carpenter later said that that movie is about sexual frustration and when, and like the, when, when she's stabbing, uh, Michael Myers with the with that uh, wire hanger in the eye that, that like the, the the penetration is a is a kind of a symbol. I think he's just fucking with us when he's did when he said that. <laughs> but I I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of fun to play with that anyway. Well, actually, that's uh, that's funny because uh, in in one of my film classes uh, we talked about kind of like, yeah, the, the idea that like in in horror movies the 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 character the killer is usually often killed with their own weapon or some kind of form of that and it's it's that mm -hmm. idea of the, the female taking the phallus like you know taking the, like because um, it, it, it kind of tied in a lot with uh, kind of queer theory is like the idea of the death drive and like somebody trying to pursue something even though it's not necessarily helpful in, um, a lot so like 
uh, for example, Freddy's killing these children. It's not going to actually do anything for him in the end. He's just he's doing it to try to receive satisfaction, but it's actually not helping him. And there's no no futurity behind that. Um, yeah. And like I think a lot of what they people kind of talk about with the final girl in that is kind of like uh, that's the killer's motivation, and they, the final girl has to kind of take the phallus, take the power that he's using, like for you know perceiving or kind of trying to obtain his goal and use it against him, kind of taking the phallus. And again, that I think that's where the idea of kind of changing. You know, not not actually changing, like, not gendering in terms of changing gender, but like, I don't know. For some, I feel like in all the old essays they write as in like taking the masculine or whatever. But that that's what that was, kind of perceiving mm-hmm. that thing. Um, I think that's what yeah. I, I can't remember. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it actually has been for me too. Um, the what was I about to say here? I was going to talk about. Uh, the queer community's relationship with horror and how that sort of reflection of, of the, the, the protagonist ended up doing a villainous thing. And also like just the, the audience liking, like, like we go to Friday the 13th and we go to a nightmare on Elm street to see the villains. And there's a, Oh yeah. Uh, well, uh, analyzed and, uh, and, uh, appreciated tradition of queer people um, identifying with the villains of movies rather than the heroes. Um, Basically any given Disney movie. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why um, certain groups of queer people will flock to horror because that identification is already kind of melded into it. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I'd like to explore that a little bit further. Um, So why do you think that is? Like, what are the characteristics of horror movies that makes that certain subgenre or subsection of people um, so attuned to horror movies? Well, there's the demonization of any given... um, LGBTQ plus identity, um, and mm-hmm. so, so it's just sort of like if you if you being told that you're the monster, then you're gonna want to identify with the monster, gonna feel some kind of uh, affinity there. And then there's also just an element of camp to it, and camp is a tricky term that doesn't really have any definition. It's just sort of kind of cringe and awkward and funny. And a lot of slasher movies, especially, are very campy. Um, especially Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, too, yeah, with, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, you know, just how how much Freddy Krueger hams it up. Oh yeah, they, yeah, he plays it up um, hardcore. And one of the big ones uh, is Sleepaway Camp, which is actually very transphobic. Um, the twist. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not sure if you've talked about Sleepaway Camp yet, so I won't say it. But we um, have not. Yeah. but I have seen it. Andrew, have you yeah. seen Sleepaway? I'm sure you have, right, Andrew? But feel free to spoil it. Yeah. I feel like it's it's a very well known thing. I think. Okay. Yeah. It turns out that at the end, that there's a girl who is actually a boy, but was force femmed by her adopted mom, I believe. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so she went crazy and started killing people at this at this camp and um but the thing is like 
queer people love this movie. Sleepaway Camp is is fantastic, and it's sort of it it goes beyond the it, it's like uh, Reefer Madness for uh, for stoners. It's just it goes <laughs> off the cliff and becomes too ridiculous to take seriously, and so it sort of circles back around, and it's great again. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel that um, this is kind of the staying power of Freddy's Revenge is mm-hmm. because this movie was intentionally, and this is something that the screenwriter has actually put forward, um, it was intentionally written to be have a lot of homosexual undertones. Yeah. Um, and they're not very subtle about it at all. Like, Oh my God! Let let's just kind of brainstorm all the homosexual undertones in this movie. Yeah, well, it's not even um, undertones. Like the the the, the <laughs> yeah, PE teacher true. goes to has it. They they go to a gay S and M bar. and then apparently like when they the director was just like yeah so uh we just needed a club we didn't realize it was a gay bar and i'm like really he was dressed in leather and assless chaps and everything like that um there is a kill in the shower where after being pelted by balls the gym teacher um is bare ass naked and he's basically whipped by freddy and to death um yeah, and there's just there's mm-hmm. a lot of different things back and forth like that. But the screenwriter, um, uh, David Chaskin, um, intentionally admitted later on after decades, basically, and he had to be confronted with this by the lead actor, Mark Patton, that this was intentionally written with homosexual just undertones, overtones, whatever you want to put it, mm-hmm. uh, because it was the 80s and it was the yeah. height of the AIDS epidemic. And that, by nature, made the mainstream moviegoer uncomfortable and scared. And that's what he was trying to get across in terms of this horror movie. Um, and Mark Patton, the main actor, once again, I would definitely recommend seeing the documentary Screen Queens because this the movie was all about this, was a closeted homosexual at this time. And he was trying to break into leading man roles, which are traditionally heterosexual. And he had to basically hide his sexuality because um, of the roles he wanted to break into. And for the longest time, the director, uh, who Jack Shoulder, um, completely denied that they were trying to include those homosexual tones in this movie. And he basically threw Mark Patton under the bus and said, well, it was because Mark Patton was gay and that's what he brought into the movie. He brought his gayness into the movie or something like that. Yeah. And it's, it's been a very traumatic experience for Mark Patton. Thankfully, it seems like he's embraced it. Um, and he's recognized what a cultural icon this movie has been to the gay community since then. But yeah. And that just, that whole saga, that whole story is what interested me most about this movie, the impact of the culture at large, because it is mm-hmm. very important to the gay community from what I understand. And again, this is me speaking speaking as a cis male, mm-hmm. um, but this is what I see and this is what I observe and that's kind of what I see. So, yeah. And actually, um, to, add, to add to that, like, the, cause, like part, yes. part of the documentary talks about is like after this movie, after this happened, Mark Patton disappears and so I remember, like, yeah. the becomes an my... interior designer, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, or he's like he, he paints uh, or something. Yeah. He like, yeah, yeah. But uh, I remember when. So I I wrote a paper on on this movie 
uh, kind of tying it to uh, one of Liedelman's books uh, and kind of, and it was kind of before I think a lot of this was kind of confirmed because I was kind of like, I had gotten really into the series and I was really curious about Mark Patton and what happened to him. And I remember like literally trying to figure out what happened to him, like on the internet, <laughs> trying to like research information about him because he was nowhere. Nobody knew anything about him. Like, me being an anime nerd, I like awkwardly even reached out to an actor, Chris Patton, and I was like, "Are you related to this guy?" <laughs> and he was like, "Nope, we just have the same name and very similar sounding voices." And I was like, "Okay, cool. Just wanted to know because uh, I like, literally couldn't find anything about this guy." Um, yeah, no. Apparently, according to Screen Queens, he retired to Mexico, uh, found a partner down there, and just he he intentionally tried to live his life away from the public spotlight. And it wasn't until the other documentary about uh, uh, Freddy's Revenge, which I'm trying to pull Never up right Sleep now. Again? Never Sleep Again. Yep. Um, yeah. Private Detective actually had to track him down. And the reason why he came on back is he realized how much this movie meant to the gay community. So. Mm-hmm. And do, yeah. do we want to take this moment to kind of discuss his life a little bit? or? Uh, yeah, sure. Why don't you go right ahead? Oh, I, I, I'm... Uh... <laughs> I don't know, so, I was say, like, okay so, so like i think just in addition all, all i really wanted to add was just in addition to like the kind of the terrible thing like i again watch the movie watch the scream queens documentary i the sound to me i came out of that with the writer's a fucking asshole and yes. piece of shit <laughs> his his sorry not sorry at the end enraged me um but during this time when this was happening you know obviously the eighth epidemic was going on um and people were basically being having to take blood tests when, in order to get a job so that this like the ostracization was like really heavy at that time, and on top of all this, I think at the time Mark's uh, Mark's lover at the time got uh, came down with um, AIDS and passed away, and like it was very public, and I feel like that he was dealt so many blows at like at once. Basically, it was it's really a kind of harrowing documentary to watch, and I just, just feel for the guy. But like, but then you mm-hmm. you feel so good for him kind of coming back and feeling taking ownership and like seeing the effect this is having on people. And the fact that he even also comes back as somebody who has, in, in the early stages, like, you know, back before it's more common than it is now, like, recovered from AIDS and had a very kind of, and I was able to come back from it, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was diagnosed in 1999. Really? Oh, my God. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Where do you want to go from here, Jens? Uh-huh. Well, I we can talk more about <laughs> the. Not, we like, didn't feel... go into the subtext and the the sort of the. I don't know why is it so gay? Because <laughs> um, yeah, obviously I... there's the coach or the the PE teacher character, um, and then there's Jesse's uh, buddy, <laughs> um, uh, who who has a oh, untimely demise. Yeah, I forget his name, but I keep wanting to call one of the... Him, uh, the name from uh, the first movie because he reminds me so much of uh, Rod from the first movie, but it's not yeah. Rod. It might be Rob. It might be Rob. I think they're very similar sounding. <laughs> Let's see. It's uh, Grady. Grady. I'm Ron. Anything alike? Is it Ron? Oh yeah! Grady. Shut up, Grady. <laughs> Grady. That was that's my favorite line in the whole movie. Shut up, Grady. <laughs> and actually, a, a fun thing about this. Yeah. Um, so I. I went online and bought the novelization. So back uh, when these movies were coming out, they didn't release initial novelizations. They basically released like the first three movie novelizations at once. Um, oh, wow. So it's actually kind of cool because the third novelization of Dream Warriors is very, it's, I think it's based on maybe Wes Craven's original script. So it's very different from the movie. Um, but I made sure to read through the second one. 
to kind of contrast it. And it's basically the same exact story because obviously that novel's written after the movie. The one thing that they do add is they basically, they paint Jesse as a tough city kid who comes in and oh, boy. the first chapter is him being like, these rich kids and their fancy lifestyles, they've never been in a fight in their lives. It's very weird to <laughs> read that and then think of Mark Patton in this movie. Because <laughs> yeah. Those, yeah. those two things do not drive at all. Hmm. Yeah, because I, I think I briefly touched on this before. One of the revelations that the Scream Queens documentary um, kind of put forward is Mark Patton, the actor, actually did come on out and confront the screenwriter. And basically, they got him to admit that he did intentionally write this movie with a lot of homosexual undertones and overtones and theming, I guess, that would be the best word for that. Um because it was the 80s and it was kind of the hot topic issue everyone was scared of aids aids was associated with the gay community and so he wrote that intentionally to make people uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um, which is something that he did not admit until much 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 later so is that kind of where you wanted to go brian in terms of kind of yeah and and everything like that well i wanted to shift over to jesse's relationship with freddie too because it it feels like He's supposed to be, Freddie is supposed to be kind of a metaphor for AIDS. Okay. Uh, tell us more about that. Um, I don't really know. This is, it's just sort of a, <laughs> uh, something festering inside a young gay man that's causing death all around him. Like, I feel that construction is, 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 is pretty much on the surface. Hmm. Um, especially yeah, once can... it's confirmed that the, the screenwriter wrote the the script with uh, with the, the AIDS epidemic in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess I can kind of see that as well in terms of, you know, this man, he's got to hide something mm-hmm. and everyone's dying all around him. Um, I've also seen this argued, too, that it is a... Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, metaphor for uh, being closeted, and you know, mm-hmm. Freddie is possessed inside this guy, and no one can see Freddie, and he's actively trying to hide it, and that sort of thing. Especially since there's a couple other scenes too, like uh, one scene near the very beginning where Freddie does talk to um, Mark or Jesse. And the original script actually called him uh, for Freddy to put one of his claws inside his mouth like he was sucking a penis. And that was taken out. Um, I believe, I forgot exactly who it was, but someone contested against that. It might have been the director. I I think um, because in the documentary they talk about it Mm -hmm. and it was more that just like um, Robert England and uh, Mark Patton were kind of getting into it. And I think... Robert England had the idea of doing the finger in the mouth and talked to Jesse about it. He's like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. And then I think they were doing it at one point, and then like the makeup artist apparently said, like, stop. According to the documentary, he said stop, and was like, don't let him put that in your mouth. It's going to make you seem gay, essentially. was like... Yeah, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think that happened. Uh-huh. Yeah, because, again, it was the 80s, and, you know, it was... Didn't want to seem gay, that sort of thing. Right. Um, but, but I... Because what I remember... No, there you go. No, you go. Sorry. I'm... Funny, no, that was it. Go ahead. I want you to go no, ahead. No, what are we going to... You said what I, I want remember. you to talk, Andrew. Damn it. Uh, so, <laughs> so, actually, I, I never thought about at his age. I think that's awesome. Uh, like, so, the way I kind of went through it were kind of Dan's way... Dan's perception of it as either um, that uh, he's closeted, which... Or, or that Freddy is a symbol of being closeted, which I, I mm-hmm. almost prefer that reading in the sense that it it makes... it's. I know, in my mind, that makes it... A, it's a slightly more hopeful movie in the sense that Freddy comes back 
um, in the end. But I think that I think kind of the the negative form of it and the writer viewing at that time gayness is a bad thing. I think the horror movie I always kind of thought Freddy was just his homosexuality, not 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 the repression of it, but just the homosexuality itself. Because at the end, it's defeated with a heterosexual kiss, so he's brought back to heteronormativity yeah. at the end. So, like to me, that that felt very much like Freddy was supposed to be his his feelings because he takes down, he kills. So, like if you think of it as self hate, he kills the only other kind of known gay person in his life, which was the coach, and then theoretically mm-hmm. the person he's interested in, Grady, he kills him. Like the the urge comes up and he kills him, getting rid of that urge. I and then like I thought kind of felt like it was very much a freddie was homosexuality and this was villainizing it which is the kind of the thing i don't like about the movie is that it i think that's very much as much as i think the repression angle would kind of be more hopeful because it's about society repressing it and not not glorifying repressing it but society repressing it i think that the mm-hmm. unfortunate re- more accurate reading is that it's saying that homosexuality is the villain and needs to be gotten away with by forcing a heterosexual relationship with lisa who I think, which is more in line with what the screenwriter intended. So. Yeah, which, which is depressing. Like that's the kind of thing I don't like about the movie is that like in thinking about it, yeah. like, I'm like, oh, I love it for what it is culturally, but I'm like, but I also hate it for what it is culturally because it's not <laughs> accepting. <laughs> and it's yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... So that's one of those things that that queer viewers twisting turn into a good thing because it's like hell yeah, <laughs> end up like um, at the end. I mean, there's the. The, the standard Nightmare on Elm Street twist ending that's sort of out of nowhere where um, hmm. what is it? I think it's the 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 girlfriend's friend yeah they're on the bus and then uh, Freddie's arm pops out so you know he's 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 back so you know heter- yeah. homosexuality is here to stay you're gonna drive off into a <laughs> into a desert um, together and it's uh, so I don't a, know. It's, it's a, like Batman. <laughs> you become the fear. Yeah. So, so Brian, is that a, is that like a reading you've heard before? Because I, I like that. I like that idea yeah. that if it that if he, if it is repression at the end, it's that repression doesn't work. At the end, you're back where you started. It's, he's still there and still there. Like that was kind of my the hope for it at the end for me. Is that a common reading of it? Um, I'm not sure about common, but I think it is definitely one that queer horror fans embrace (laughs) and it's kind of yeah i mean we we know the the screenwriter and chaskin what was his david chaskin uh david chaskin was let me check for a second right here yep david chaskin was the screenwriter yeah yeah i mean obviously he didn't intend that but yeah i mean with especially in the 80s with representation being what it was you took what you could get get and if that meant twisting around uh horror movies moral message to the exact opposite of what was probably intended then uh so be it (laughs) so yeah and especially during this time in the 80s there there just there there was not a lot of queer horror at all so i mean we didn't have jennifer's body or anything like that at that time so Mm -hmm. or seed of chucky i guess yeah no that we did have rocky horror (laughs) had rocky horror um there's the the movie Cruising, which is sort of more of a thriller. It's a, Al Pacino has to uh, go into, uh, I think it's New York's leather scene to track down a killer. And then he gets, uh, it's kind of similar to this actually, uh, where he gets slowly sort of sucked into this, this world of, of gay debauchery. Um, and it starts to affect his psychological state. Um, 
but anyway, that was another one. So nothing, nothing especially positive. Mm-hmm. Andrew, what were you about to say? No idea. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, what about like, I mean, I, I, I guess we can keep talking about like the cultural impact and the themes of homosexuality in terms of how this interacts with the movie as well. But do we also want to talk about like scenes we really, really enjoyed? Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Totally. What do you think, Brent? What, what are my favorites or what do I think about the idea? Uh, just both. <laughs> uh, somebody else go first. <laughs> I got to think about it. I think, did, right. did, have you, did you uh, so, two watch it uh, more recently than I have? Because I think I saw it a, a month or yes. two ago. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it about a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And then before that, I hadn't seen it since, gosh, when you and I, you know, got together watching horror movies, Brian, yeah. in like high school or college, wherever it was. So, yeah. Now, we had, like, a very weird span of time where you got into horror movies, like, late high school. I was in college, so we weren't home at the time. And occasionally, we would meet up and watch something. But beyond that, no, not really. No, we we were estranged, yes. (gasps) Yes, yes, that is true. (laughs) And then Andrew and I, we had our horror movie nights over in Korea all the time. Yeah. Uh, No, I fucking love the pool party scene. Like, Mm -hmm. everything about the pool party. Like, that is, Freddy is just, he's tense he is fucking with them i just like how there's absolutely no avenue of escape and they keep going and showing how there's absolutely no avenue of escape because the pool heats up the uh you know gates get red hot there's a fire that appears around the edges that sort of line like freddy is just not fucking with them at all um i i really do enjoy that scene mm-hmm. and then of course shut up grady as well what about yeah, you too no i think i think grady's death is like to me like the the, the mark Freddie coming out of uh, Jesse up until uh, Grady getting pinned through the wall, like that was that's such a good scene. It, I I love that scene. I hate that scene because it's such like a. I feel like that's like a really tragic scene in the movie because Grady's mm-hmm. like such a good friend and like such like a nice guy. And, like you don't want that. Like you know what's gonna happen. You don't want it to happen. And like as it's happening, like you have, to have the same horror that Grady has. And then um, also like Grady's parents on the other side of that door trying to get to their son and like. I thought that scene was great, just like for the effects, the yeah. emotional effect, like it was awesome. No, I'd actually second that one. It you don't usually get characters who are that likable in these movies, and in yeah. and the deaths that are like that emotional too, or that like sort of harrowing. Um, I don't know. I can't think of a single character in like Friday the Thirteenth who you would <laughs> that is that like oh shit no. You didn't love Crispin Glover no. and Crispin Glover and his great little dance moves and like Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, another fun fact about this movie too. So apparently that dance scene at the very beginning of Freddy's Revenge, um mm-hmm. apparently he was supposed to like simulate masturbating in the original script, but again the makeup artist for somebody said, No, that's too gay, don't do that. That sort of Wait, thing. Wait, are you saying that's not what he was doing when he was playing with all the little Yeah, what? Yeah, apparently it was supposed to be a whole lot more explicit than that. Oh, wow. Well, he grew Can't up, imagine he grew up getting... on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> he did grow up on the streets. Yeah. Master Bits, wherever the fuck he wants. <laughs> no, you know, uh, um, you know, actually, back, back to your comments a second ago, Brian. I was just thinking about that. Like, in all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, there aren't really any any asshole characters. I think those people are pretty good. Like, I'm trying to, like, yeah, I don't think anybody. I think you feel bad for everybody because the thing that I, I always like, I was thinking about with this movie in terms of you know Freddy's character is like this again. This is the fucking child murderer, implied child rapist killing these kids. So like, it's not like Jason where it's some kid guy who's getting like 
revenge streak murder. This is like a sadistic fuck who possibly fucked children and murdered children, killing them at the most vulnerable state. Like, I feel like it would be weird to have him kill to like enjoy his kills, I guess. Like, I feel like yeah. that would be, a, I, I wouldn't want that, I guess. I wouldn't want that to happen in a movie. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know. I wouldn't want to enjoy that. Because I can't yeah, this think of, is, it's a lot. any of them. Sorry. No. Yeah, no, I can't think either. It's, a, it's, the tone is, is lighter, but also much more mean-spirited in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, like, I'm thinking of, um, in Dream Warriors, the, uh, the end with Nancy, um, mm -hmm. which is really unexpected, um, or expected, depending on how, how familiar you are with certain slasher movie tropes but i don't know it's just like it, it, it's it's cruel whereas with friday the 13th kills it's it's sort of like you, you, the audience is sort of cheering them on because you want to know what jason's gonna do next mm -hmm. and it's yeah, there's, and it's yeah. it's fun to watch people die like <laughs> in the creative kills and that sort of thing yeah well, and i feel that's and sorry for interrupting yeah. brian but i that's feel fine. that's what draws a lot of people to um and just slasher movies in general is, you know, that, that's why Saw was so popular for the longest time. Because on the surface level, it's just, it's fun to see the creative ways that these asshole characters or these dumb characters can go ahead and get dismembered and slashed and that sort of thing. And we have this morbid curiosity in terms of that. And then, of course, a deeper meaning in terms of... Um, drawing metaphors from these characters or maybe the asshole characters we don't like, you know, we want to see them die. Hmm. I think with, with Nightmare on Elm Street too, yeah. we have like the vulnerability that comes into play with some of these characters, which I think makes these kills more sad. Like I just mentioned, like like Nancy dying at the end was sad, but like even in Dream Warriors itself, like the girl who um, has like the heroin addiction and is like, yeah, you know, has that has that self actualization, that self realization moment where she's like, I'm a badass. I like the way I look. I'm like comfortable with myself, and he fucking kills her with the drugs, and you're just like, oh, yeah, shit. like wow, like. What a fucking asshole! But also, like, what like a, a sad story for somebody who's overcoming their addiction and like being comfortable with themselves. Like, but I feel like yeah. they just have so many harrowing scenes like that. Like, where again, it's, it's effects heavy. It looks nice. It's a creative kill, but it's also just like really kind of you know twists the knife in you. It definitely does, and there's a lot. I think the the suffering is stretched out a lot more in these movies than other ones because, of course, there's always the sequence where they're trying to stay awake, and so you, and you can just see them with like their red eyes and like pouring like caffeine into into like soda cans and stuff just i'm sorry brian i have to interrupt you real quick because sure. i remember the simpsons episode the treehouse of horror nightmare and i'm sorry one you know which one i'm talking about uh, i think so refresh my memory so it's the one where groundskeeper willie takes the role of Fred freddy krueger and at one oh point yes smart weather yeah Yes, yeah. a lousy smart word. <laughs> and, he's, and then Bart and Lisa are just like, Bart, do you realize what this means? The next time we fall asleep, we could die. And then they can pants to Grandpa, and he's just like, eh, welcome to my world. And then he immediately falls asleep. Yeah. <laughs> God, <what a> great <laughs> anyway, continue. So no. people trying to stay awake and caffeine pills and all that. Yeah, just like, they're, I mean, in like, I, I just keep coming back to Friday the 13th just because it's such a easy series to go back and forth with with this one um peanut butter and jelly, like yeah, yeah it's it's always over the course of like a single night whereas all nightmare on elm streets are sort of i don't know they usually take like weeks 
Mm-hmm. And and people sort of yeah, are miserable for a while before they die. Yeah. But I also feel like the Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is also just more empowering because I feel like in Friday the 13th, the, the person usually kills Jason, quote-unquote kills, just kind of randomly. They're like, ah, got yeah. done it. But like Nightmare on Elm Street, first one, Nancy is like planning this shit and like tracks Yeah, him, no, there's like, there's always sort of a, a Scooby-Doo sort of how, how do we catch <laughs> the killer sort of thing. Or, yeah. I mean, there's not no killers in Scooby-Doo, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, have you seen Scooby-Doo Apocalypse or read those comics? There, there's, some, there's some death no. going on in there. It's, it's fucking oh, man. Sick. Did anyone die in Scooby-Doo Escape from Zombie Island? Oh, is that the, is that the remake or the sequel? No, the Zombie Island. No, Zombie Island, yeah. Again? That's a great there's a one. Sequel. There's a sequel that just came out. There's a sequel? Yeah. That's right. There is. I have it because I got the Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island um, DVD and it came with it. Ooh. I haven't watched it because I assume it's bad, but... That's probably fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, that, no, some people do die in that one. Well, they're already dead in that one, kind of. Yeah. It's debatable. But yeah, no, I mean, there's always the planning scene, aside from the Friday 13th movie with the fight against psychic the psychic powers boy and all that sort of thing. But uh, Well, and like, even yeah. in this one, like, again, it's, I, I always kind of feel like in this movie, like, yeah, Jesse is our final girl who's a guy. But in reality, I think Lisa's our final girl because he was the one she wanted. She was the victim. Like, she was the going to be killed to a degree. And I feel like she she took on a lot of the roles of the final girl and learning about the killer, figuring things out, defeating the killer in the end. Um, yeah. But even even this movie where she's not even a huge character, she kind of takes on that. Basically, is Nancy in this movie, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. But. Yeah, it's just that she's less of a character in the main plot. But yeah. At the end, yeah, they're like, oh, shit, we need a girl to do all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that's... and again, I'm wondering if uh, that was intentional with the screenwriting process, knowing what we know right now. Oh, I feel like it has yeah. to be. I feel like, I feel like her, her kissing him to bring him to her, like the fairy tale defeating of Freddy has to be intentional. Because, again, like that, fa- mm-hmm. that fairy tale norm- normativity of, like, this is how you defeat evil mm-hmm. with love and, like, boom. Uh, which is actually kind of weird too, because it's almost a regression of from Nancy's character of kind of you know grabbing life by the by the balls and being like I'm gonna fucking do this, and at the end being like fuck you don't matter to me, and that's how she defeats him. I think that's a lot like not afraid of you. Yeah, yeah. like that's a very strong message, but again, this is also a different story in terms of the message it's trying to uh, the message it's going for. Um, yeah, and I think they're all still trying to establish the lore too, and uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So. But what, yep. what did you guys think of Lisa's character in this? Because I think I think the lack of like Lisa was like you know dripping for Jesse. I, I to me the script read like Lisa was dripping for Jesse and Jesse had no interest. Like did you feel like the chemistry between them wasn't there on purpose or was it was an actor thing? Did you think there was chemistry between them? I I really didn't get any sort of chemistry between the two. And honestly, like I know it's an 80s slasher movie. And aside from Jamie Lee Curtis, there really aren't too many good actors on this front. But Lisa's actress was just really, really bad. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Love Lisa. Like I really, it took me out so much. I don't know. Brian, what do you think? Um, well, I don't, I think that a lot of movies just take it on faith that you're, that the leads are going to be together and they don't put a lot of weight into it into the script like Oliver and I just watched Age of Innocence which is a Martin Scorsese romance based on an Edith Wharton novel and that movie is two and a half hours all centered on a romance but like I did not understand why they even liked each other 
<laughs> so even movies where the 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 romance is the focus sort of expect you to take it on faith. Mm-hmm. Um so so I guess it doesn't really surprise me that it's not um that the that the well it doesn't surprise me but it also doesn't take away from anything for me that there's there's not a lot of chemistry between the the two. Mm-hmm. Um just cuz I often see that. Yeah, and the movie, I mean, the story is basic enough where I feel it can get away with it. Expectations were low for 80 slashers and the <laughs> <Yeah>. 80s. <laughs> you know, let's just, let's put it that way. Andrew, what'd you think? No, I don't, I, I, yeah, I didn't, I just didn't think it was there. Like, I thought, I thought mm-hmm. their friendship felt good. And I get it. I thought, like, there were a lot of times where I felt, felt like we're kind of following Glenn in, um, in Nightmare on Elm Street 1 instead of Nancy, where, like, she would go off and discover this stuff about Fred Krueger. And then she'd come back and tell him and be like, oh, okay, cool. But, like, you know, obviously he's doing his own shit. And, like, I don't know if you remember, like, in Nightmare on Elm Street 1, they never explicitly say it, but it kind of, you get the impression, like, it's pretty explicit, but, like, you know, basically that uh, Glenn, was that his name? Uh, Glenn has been, like, you know, more or less denying his dreams that he's been having the entire time. Like, he, he, you know, he, and at the end he's like, you know, I just heard that, you know, fucking look away from the, uh, you know, look away from evil and it will, he, you know, get away from you that's how, that's how you do it like he, he tells her that he, he gives her that adage about that but we also get the impression that he doesn't quite take what's happening seriously where he like falls asleep like three times in the movie when she's like hey Glenn can you like not fall asleep for me and he's like nah I'm good and so like there are a lot of times in this movie where I felt like we were basically in the same movie but from Glenn's perspective so I kind of thought that made it at least a little more interesting because she would kind of come in and tell him what she found out without actually seeing it happen so I, I kind of liked that on the number character. I didn't think that there was any relationship between them, but I thought that was an interesting thing about her. And I thought like she even had that kind of final girl moment at the end where Freddy attacks her and she like he like bites her and she just fucking kicks him in the face and like throws shit at him. Like yeah, I, like <laughs> yeah, I, that was great. I like I feel like she's an unsung final girl of this franchise, um, which I don't, mm-hmm. not, which isn't to downplay Jesse's uh, role in the, in the film, but I feel like she's like a interesting character for that reason because I feel like. She, I think they both kind of together. They occupy the role of the final girl. Yeah, yeah, aspects. absolutely. She's the competent one. Yeah, yeah. But, like, but it's interesting because I feel like she fights the physical Freddy, and then we like, which again I think is, is another commentary as well. If you kind of if you ever saw that movie, I think it's called Tough Guys. It's like about like kind of male repressed, like you know, men kind of repressing their feelings and their emotions and their troubles uh, in order to kind of like, you know, just appear more masculine. And I think. While Jesse does voice his opinion sometimes, he does kind of deal with it on his own. He kind of really balls up in the movie. He, you know, he tries to open up a little bit to Grady, but and a little bit to Lisa, but that's about it. Otherwise, he kind of is like, yeah, fuck everything. I, I have trouble sleeping. Bye, parents. Like, you get that impression of a lot of repression outside of sexuality, just like in terms of dealing with his problems um, and feeling comfortable sharing those. And I kind of felt like seeing the, I don't know, Lisa so eager to sympathize and so eager to share her emotions and what she's going through and trying to be proactive about it. And his kind of reservedness was an interesting kind of statement in itself, I guess. I don't know. I, sorry, that, that was an awkward rant. Ignore that. <laughs> That's okay. That's nah, all good. No, it's, um, but going back to the, like the, the lack of, of, uh, of their relationship making a ton of sense as romantic. Um, 
I do feel like there is more, I don't know what, if you would call it chemistry, because I feel like it is actually in the writing. Um, there's more of a dynamic between Grady and Jesse. Oh, 100%. Do you two agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is, which is what makes Grady's death scene so, uh, so affecting. Um, and yeah, I don't know if it's, if it's, uh, um, Mark Patton, um, as the actor or, or Je the, the, the characters as written, but there is much more sort of a, a lot of just sort of homosocial connection there that, that can be read as homoerotic if you want it to be. Well, I, well, I feel like the, the fact that he, he doesn't really gets implied that he just kind of meets Grady at the beginning of the movie and already mm -hmm. he goes to him for help when things are going bad. He's like, he goes to Grady's for the night. He's like, Grady, I need to watch me. Like he like, goes to him because he feels more comfortable with him than he does with Lisa. I, I thought that was really telling about like kind of where the relationship was. I don't know. He got ride or die real fast. Yeah. And I think they, well, they both, they, the, the writing made them have much more of a sort of a, what do you call it? They're in the same boat because they're both getting kind of, uh, um, ridden by the, by the PE teacher. Mm -hmm. Am I remembering that right? Where they like, they, they both have to do like a bunch of, uh, pushups or something after, after class. Yeah, yeah. So they have they have stuff that they can they can sort of bond over by mutual uh, struggle. Well, oh, too, because there's even a line there where um where I think he says like Grady, why are you always fucking with me? And he's like, I'm not fucking with you, man. I'm just we're, we're just friends. Like, I thought that was a really nice little line. Uh, yeah, he, like, he calls out to him because I think Grady is almost he seems like the Rod character at first, who's giving him a hard time. Then he's like, No, bro, we're just like messing around. I don't know. That was really nice. It's good character yeah. writing, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we should probably start wrapping this episode up at some point. Um, is there any other topics you want to touch on with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge? Not a... I will take that silence as a... Well, no, I... <laughs> Nothing I can... Yeah. Nothing I can <laughs> not, not, not... Yeah, so... I have, a, I have a slight hot take. Maybe not a hot take, but... I think, this works oh, I, I think this works completely canonically within the Nightmare on Elm Street thing, and I don't think there's anything that it doesn't, that it does that doesn't make it unsuture. Like, I feel like as a movie, like, not, 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 not to, not to buck, against, buck against anybody, but I feel like as a movie, what, you can accept this movie for what it is and what it brings into the canon and still have all the other movies after it work. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I, I feel like, because it, I don't know, I, I feel like this, this movie... Like, I, I hear that the criticism a lot that it doesn't work within the canon, but I think it really does if you think of it as, like, not kind of, like, again, kind of like the uh, New Beginning Nightmare, uh, Friday the 13th movie where you don't quite know if Freddy exists in this movie a lot of the time. Like, we see him, we see him pop out, but most characters who see him don't survive. Or, we again, we also don't know if at the end of that movie, if that was Jesse running around as Freddy, if the fire was really there, like, how much that stuff was actually happening. Because that Freddy does try to take over people's bodies in other movies. He, like... Dream Child is all about him taking over the soul of um, Alice's baby, so that's that that's in there, pretty heavily. So the idea of him possessing people, even in uh, Freddy vs. Jason, he takes over the stoner guy, and the stoner guy gets high. So I think the idea of him taking over Jesse's body isn't something that's unique to this movie. I think it's something that was new at the time, and it was presented in a very forward way. But I think it's something he does pretty often. Um, I think he even in other movies he kind of 
possesses somebody for like a moment in time. Because we, when we see other people act in other movies, I'm just thinking of Freddy's Dead, which is terrible. We see him physically moving people around. Or even in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, he moves that kid around with the fake marionette thing. So he's moving people in a guise in the dream world that's making it seem like he's not doing it. But he really is. So I, I feel like this movie does fit into the canon, especially if we think of each movie as a character's individual fear. With like the first movie is Nancy's fear is her parents are distant from her. Her mom's a drunk. Her dad's a cop who doesn't live in the house anymore. So the idea of the sins of the parents coming back to kill their children or to affect their children negatively is the fear that she has. So that's kind of Freddy in that movie. In this movie, if we think about it as um, home, of kind of repressed sexuality, having control over his body is something that Jesse's having trouble with. So having that taken away from him is his big fear. And then in the third one, we think about, um, it's not Alice, I can't remember who the, who the third one is, whoever Patricia Arquette, or the Arquette is playing. Um, her thing is that she's like alone. So at the end she has friends. So it's her being alone. And that's how a lot of the dream warriors die is being alone. So it come to that. And then Alice is all about confidence in that movie. And then in Freddy's dead, it's about that girl's parentage and learning that about her origins, her, like, I feel like it fits into every character's movie. And this is just Jesse's movie for the nightmare. So I feel like it does work in the canon of the series. Um, Another rant, but that, that's that's my like hot take on this movie. That I think that this movie <laughs> yeah. fits in, and I will fight people about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely agree with you to an extent, Andrew, in terms of, yes, you can argue that it'll fit into the canon later on. But to me, it's definitely very telling in terms of they're still trying to find their footing. They're still trying to figure out exactly what makes Freddy scary and what the rules are. So, yeah. Would you argue this is a scarier Freddy than Dream Warriors Freddy? Would Freddy, pose- oh, Freddy position the body of somebody versus people having superpowers in their dreams to fight Freddy. Like, I feel like that, to me, could have been jumping the shark. Like, I almost think it kind of does. Like, I, kind of another hot take, I guess. But to me, 1, 2, and New Nightmare are kind of, are my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Dream Warriors on, to me, gets, it's where it kind of gets a little cartoony. And it's, it's sad, and I, I like aspects of it. But I think that that's where we get MTV kind of, like, jokey Freddy. And I don't love that Freddy. Yeah. I, I think that yeah and that's one more common thing i see a lot of people talk about in terms of what positive of this movie is freddie is sinister he's actually threatening later on he gets a lot more jokey and personally i love jokey freddie i think it's just it, it's fun to watch him at that point and that's the personality i associate with him but you know that's just one opinion yeah i'm looking at contemporary reviews of uh, Freddy's Dead, not Freddy's Dead. Um, what are we watching? <laughs> what are we talking about? For Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Um, yeah, that's what we're talking about, right? No, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Freddy's Revenge. There we go. Freddy's Revenge. Uh, I've been up since five. The um, contemporary <laughs> reviews have are more just about how it's not the first movie. <laughs> Like, people really liked the first movie. Um, it's not that they changed the formula. It's not that the, uh, the, it's not anything else except that it's, it wasn't what they were expecting. And I'm not sure what people were expecting exactly, but, um, I guess, I guess they get, just didn't get what they wanted. And maybe, yeah, it's, it is one of those things where the first sequel, it has to be enough like the original that it re-sparks that same thing, but it's also different enough that people aren't going to be like, oh, they just redid this first movie again. 
So can I ask? Can I ask? I have three more questions for you guys to, to wrap this up. If that's right. okay. Yeah. All right. First question. We have five was, minutes. Was inspired left. by a com- by uh, one of the conversations Brian mentioned earlier. Well, ima- could you have ima- what, imagine if there was like a, a Halloween three? This isn't even a question. This is just imagine a Halloween three reaction <laughs> to Friday Thirteenth Part Two, and everyone's like, "Yo, fuck Jason. We want to bring back Mrs. Voorhees," and ever every other movie is just Mrs. Voorhees killing people. <laughs> It's like an ordinary middle-aged woman. <laughs> just, it's her in every movie. Like, it'll, it'll yeah. be, like what is her name? Uh, Pamela Pamela X will be, will be like you know the one she goes into space yes. and she's fucking, yeah. <laughs> fucking people up. Uh, so that, that's my random hypothetical. But like, and this next one question actually kind of ties in what Brian was just mentioning a bit. But like, so Brian, you just mentioned like you know it's not enough like the like it's not enough like the original. Like, do you think that we could have another because the, the remake came out a while ago? Um, and it wasn't received well. Um, do you think that they could come out with another movie, like like another Nightmare on Elm Street? Like, do you think this idea is still viable today? Like, or do you think would like could we make a sequel? Could we make a prequel or like a remake? Do you how, do you guys think that'll be effective, or should just kind of leave it down? Well, they didn't. They they tried that basically with New Mutants. That's that's pretty much just a remake of Dream Warriors. Is it? I actually haven't seen that yet. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's basically they're oh, a bunch of kids in a. Uh, mental hospital together fighting a dream demon. Did it work? Yeah. I haven't seen that yet. I don't think people liked it, so... (laughs) Yeah, I I think it got pretty middling reviews overall, but honestly, I think the more the buzz was just like, oh my god, this movie actually came out. Oh yeah, yeah, no, because it it took forever. Uh, But that was kind of a a, a distracting answer. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to say because of how Hollywood is, and... Um, feels like they're just going to keep regurgitating IP over and over again. Um, so we probably will get another one eventually. Um, and we'll just have to see. Hopefully it's not just uh, like what, what happened to the Hellraiser franchise or oh they just want to keep the, the copyright in place so they'll just toss a <laughs> random script and add Pinhead into it. Um, yeah, no, I, I can't. But in terms of how it applies to, like, I don't know, you could do a really interesting movie with this basis, like, with with a a, a Zoomer um, cast. I don't know, I have to think about what that would look like. But, yeah, no, it, there's, there's a lot of potential in the premise, and I feel like it could keep giving if... If they, it'll go full on Hellraiser Hell World, except instead of an MMO, um, <laughs> Freddy's invaded people through their TikToks. There we go. Oh, that, s- that sounds. That, see, that would fit too. That... <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. Oh, was All it... right. What's your last question, Andrew? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I didn't hear your your opinion on it, Dan. What What is your your thoughts? Oh yes, yes. Um, so in terms of a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I think definitely the last remake, even though it came out in, what, 2010, it definitely kind of killed the franchise for quite some time now. I... I don't think there'll be a new one coming out anytime soon. If they do do one, I'd be interested to see what they do differently. Um, I could see them go in a Saw angle sort of thing, where they just kind of, like, focus on an anthology. Well, not really a saw angle at that point, but kind of an anthology of people just falling asleep and being attacked in their dreams and maybe kind of, like, doing their character traits into dreams and that sort of thing. 
But I, I, I think this franchise is pretty played out at this point. So you, I would have loved to have seen them explore the whole multiverse, or not multiverse, but like uh, collaboration Freddy versus Jason sort of thing a little bit more. But they we use anthology. Do you yeah. mean like TV show anthology or like 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 the kind of what they're doing with um, Creep Show on Shutter, or do you mean like? Like a movie anthology, like like Rec kind of, not Rec. What's that movie? Uh, VHS. Uh, kind of like a Rec sort okay. of thing. Yeah, VHS. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was kind of thinking. Okay. Uh huh. But yeah, I mean, isn't there a Nightmare on Elm Street TV show? There is. Show? Uh, it was bad. Oh yes, 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 yes. That's what I heard. <laughs> All right. And what's your last question, right, Andrew? Last question. Um, this isn't really a question, but yeah, and 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 Brian, I'm including you on this as well. Can can we do Nightmare right. on Elm Street the remake? Because I. I, I, I want to watch it again. Like, I, I, Brian, you don't know this about me, but Dan knows about me, and maybe people listeners know that. Like, every once in a while, I'll kind of think of a movie that I hated and be like, maybe it wasn't that bad. I want, I want to watch that movie. That movie's probably pretty good. Let me watch it again. And I'm feeling that way hard about Nightmare on Elm Street remake after like reviewing this, because I'm, I'm thinking about some things I enjoyed about it, even if I hated the actors and everything else in the movie. So I kind of want to watch it again and talk about it. So can, can we do that sometime? That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> all right fine sure. we will see how many uh listens this gets and get to it and see what the let's let the viewers decide yeah. so you know anyone who would like to hear us talk about the new remake of nightmare on elm street um we can absolutely do that i know our next episode is gonna be 30 days of nights but uh yeah we could do a revisit if we want to yeah, we should and brian you're more than invited all right yeah no i remember i watched that one in high school and i remember not hating it but like it was with a bunch of people so i think it was just like something on in the background which might be the ideal way to watch it it, it probably is honest like see my, <laughs> my my goal is i'm gonna go through this is my my plan i'm gonna watch it i'm gonna watch it with the strict mindset that i love this movie and i've never heard of the other movies before and i'm gonna try to stick to that mindset as much as i can when i watch it and see if it's enjoyable like never heard of freddy krueger who's this guy tell me about him in this movie I want to approach it that way and see if I might enjoy it, maybe. Okay. Well, that that'll be a little cliffhanger, then. All right. <laughs> I guess so. Part two will come later. Well, thank you all so much for listening on in. A special thanks to uh, Brian for joining us. Thank you so much, Brian, for uh, giving your perspective and opinions on this film as well. It was very much a pleasure to have you and talk to you again. You know, we live on separate coasts, so it's always good to bond with my brother a little bit more. Yeah. Um, also, a special thanks to our theme song that is Horror Movie Story by the band Teddy's Atlas. You can get them off the album Children of the Corn. They're good, good Canadian boys. Once again, our upcoming episode is going to be 30 Days of Nights. Topical, because again, I just got back from Alaska. Any final comments? <laughs> no. <laughs> None. Z- Strong zero words. Right. <laughs> <you>, Andrew. <laughs> all right, sounds good. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a wonderful night, day, evening, whatever it is where you are at. We need to come up with a catchphrase at the very end. Goodbye, screwheads. What, what does Ashley Williams say? Listen up, you permanent screwheads. Uh, this is the boomstick. This is my boomstick. This is a boomstick. No, there's nothing on there. Uh, what, what's what's thing he says when he shoots somebody? Good, bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Groovy. Groovy. Get bitch away. Uh, I, I'm, I have the Evil Dead musical in my mind. Nope. More than that. Hails of the king, baby. <laughs> there we go. Oh, thank you. Hails of the king, baby. <laughs> All right. Hail to the king, baby. Talk to you all later. Bye. Bye.